Hi everyone, it's Damon Klotz, host of the Culture First podcast, and this bonus episode of the podcast is part of a series called Working Through It. It's a multimedia experience that explores the seven stages of change that we're all going through. Head to culturefirst.com slash working through it to learn more. All right, let's get started. I'm Larissa Conte, and I'm working through it by wayfinding. Culture First? Culture first. 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 I'm Damon Klotz, and this is Culture First. Hello, and welcome back to the Culture First podcast. So. I have to come clean about something. Just because I host this podcast, work at CultureAmp, and get the chance to distill all of my thoughts into voiceovers, which I can re-record multiple times, none of that adds up to me having all of the answers. I am indeed working through it alongside every single one of you listening. And there was a conversation in part one that I wanted to bring up again in relation to this, because I think it's important for the rest of this series. Yes, there are seven parts but we are experiencing them in a non-linear fashion. How we experience them will change month by month, week by week, and day by day. So I just wanted to remind myself, as well as everyone listening, to think of these episodes and these seven parts less as a checkbox to, to get through and more of a reminder that we can come back to them whenever we need to. In saying all of that, we do want to progress and move forward as individuals, as teams, and as leaders which brings us to part two of the Working Through It series. Together, you and I, we're going to explore the idea of the only way forward is through. We're going to do this with two episodes where we're focusing on encouraging acceptance of the situation with stabilizing leadership. Now, when I looked at this topic and I was looking for two guests, I wanted two guests who could teach us something about stabilizing leadership, obviously, but from different perspectives. One of my guests, she has a master's in earth systems and has taught me so much about the role of environments. And the other guest, well, he's a former Navy SEAL and he's worked through what I can only imagine is some of the toughest situations that humans and individuals can face. So we've split these conversations into two episodes and it's time to get started with my first guest. So my first guest is Larissa Conte. Larissa is a systems coach, ceremony designer, and rites of passage guide through her business, Wayfinding. Together, we explored what systems and the environment can teach us about what we're all working through, how now is the time to deconstruct all of the preconceived notions of what leadership is. We also talked about the topics that are typically taboo. And then finally, I asked Larissa a question about the behaviours that leaders are showing right now that break her heart. So let's get started with my conversation with Larissa Conte. How do you describe what you do to a 10-year-old who says, Larissa, what do you do for work? (laughs) I love that question. Here's what I do for work. I work with people who run teams and organizations to help them make sure that the whole team and the organization is a place where every single person feels really alive, 
feels like they belong, and feels deeply creative. That's what I do. I can only hope that this inquisitive 10-year-old says, that sounds like a world that I want to live in. (laughs) Me too. Me too. (laughs) The other thing that I wanted to do as a bit of a a check-in to this conversation um, was to see if you were open to starting with a medicine story and maybe even just maybe sharing uh, what a medicine story is based on some of the learnings and insights that you've had uh, as, as a leader and as someone who's been doing a lot of coaching and training over the past eight weeks? Sure. I'm happy to start with that and to first start by describing what a medicine story is, which is something I use frequently in my programs and my work in leadership development. Uh, children's author Barry Lopez wrote in his book, Crow and Weasel, which is a um, lovely story about two young men who go on a journey. There's a quote in that book that says, to the best of my remembering, (laughs) something to the effect of, sometimes people need stories more than they need food. And I think particularly throughout our lives, because we're symbolic animals, we look to stories for meaning and as signposts for how to behave. They can hold cautionary tales. They can hold codes of wisdom for us to follow. And right now, in this moment of great turbulence, people are seeking stories to act as signposts. So here's a a mini medicine story from my life in these last eight weeks. I'm currently running a leadership program called Alchemical Leadership with individuals in this cohort from around the United States and Europe. And the fundamental purpose of this program is to be in mutual inquiry around the nature of power, our responsibility as leaders in inhabiting power, what are the different types of power, and what is power that serves the whole? What does it mean as a leader to embody power that serves the whole, rather than power that serves the sum, the few, or power that controls. So this cohort began several weeks before shelter in place took effect in the United States. And as the pandemic amplified and began to spread around the world and the signal got louder and louder, it was clear that I needed to take logistical action. Like the thousands of leaders, you know, hundreds of thousands of leaders Um, spread in all sorts of seats around the world, there are actual actions that needed to be taken. So my program's partially online, and there is going to be a one-week retreat where we did um, a wilderness quest as part of it. Obviously, that wasn't going to happen if shelter-in-place was to take effect in the United States. So there were things that I needed to do to pivot my program. But because I know the importance of making space for our whole selves, you know, if we're looking at the teal organizational paradigm as inviting wholeness of self at work, that's part of what I wove into the culture of this program. And so in our wholeness, um, the impacts of such sweeping change I knew would have massive effect on us all energetically, emotionally, as well as logistically. So I immediately made space for us to have um, an impromptu coming together right after shelter in place was announced in the United States. And then quickly after that made space 
for a grief ritual for my group. And as I was doing these things, I realized I was bumping up against these false codes about what leadership needs to look like, especially in crisis, especially in turbulence. As one who advocates for um, vulnerability and empathy and um, emotional transparency, I was finding myself wondering, what can I show of my experience to my program participants? And I was coming up against these fears that maybe I can't be in the grieving with them. And recognizing in the midst of our grief ritual and in these moments that they were just as ready to hold me. Yes, this was part of the premise of the culture that we're practicing of what does shared power look like. But I kept coming up against this idea of what are the ideas we carry about what leadership needs to look like that injure leaders themselves and alienate them from being fully more human with their teams and the ways that their teams actually want to hold their leaders at the same time. So that's a beginning story. And that question, that inquiry about what are these false codes of leadership that we really get to put down right now is something that I have been carrying and will continue to carry into this future that we are all walking into together. I think you've always done a good job of this based on my experience um, working with you in terms of just like helping us as leaders address uh, taboos that we don't always talk about at work. And I think right now, you know, things that we never spoke about or that we should have been speaking more about at work, it's just popping up left, right and center. Like, you know, we're talking about mental health more, we're talking about you know, that the future of work has just arrived and we need to just radically rethink how we work. So all, all these conversations that maybe leaders would shy away from in the past, they're having to have right now. But outside of that, do you still think that there is a taboo that we're failing to address right now? Ourselves as emotional sensing beings, the fact that our emotions are not only part of our wholeness, they are intimately connected to our ability to be creative. And the largest um, emotion I think that organizations have struggled with historically and are struggling with right now in particular, our grief is grief. How do we deal with grief? How do we make space for the sadness, the sorrow, and the rage that people can be experiencing? Um, and what does that mean for us as a group and us as an organization if we open the sometimes fearful box of grief in the collective workplace. I feel like grief is going to be a word that gets used, um, you know, potentially in every episode, but definitely in every part of this seven-part series that we're doing because I think it was a word that historically has only ever really been used in the idea of grieving a, a you know, a family member, a friend, someone that you know, and just dealing with loss when it comes to the individual. But I feel like what a lot of people people are coming to realize is that depending on your circumstances, depending on what you used to you know find important that you now can't do anymore, a lot of us are grieving an experience or we're grieving a way of life. You know, for a lot of people, if their return to work policy actually says, you know what, we're all going to go fully re- remote now, a lot of people will be grieving a physical workspace. So um, when I just say like uh, the idea of dealing with grief in the workplace right now, what kind of comes up for you? I have been doing 
work around grief in the workplace um, in a focused way since 2017, since the white supremacist march in um, uh, Charlottesville. Um, recognizing that there are things that have been taboo to talk about at work historically. And that there's kind of this, you know, if we put it in archetypal trope, it's like, oh, if we get sad at work, then we're not going to be working. The United States culture has very low grief literacy. As part of a this the construct of disconnect, of not understanding the systems we're a part of, of the life and death that is woven into our fabric of existence, by denying grief and focusing so heavily on life, we are denying a certain aspect of our beings. So when we say it's not okay to bring this part of you to work, that will inevitably become a point of stagnation and obstruction in a person's body, in a team's ability to work and in an organization's ability to function as a whole. So not only is it more humane, more compassionate, more connecting to make space for grief, which leaders can often have fear around because they say, oh my gosh, well, if I, if I allow this to come forward, who knows what may be spoken in the midst of the layoffs we're having, in the midst of the industry impacts and the potential question of whether our industry will ever be arrived revived at all for all sorts of industries in the world right now. We as leaders need to sit in our seat of responsibility of serving our team members and have the courage to brave the winds of truth that will come out as we express. And what we'll find, much like storm systems, is that grief, when it has a space to express, is like a cloud releasing its rain. And then it's clear after. So it's something that's of great service, that renews us, that gives us more capacity, that engenders morale and loyalty, which creates a fuel for people's inner power, their aliveness, their belonging, and ultimately brings great respect for those who hold that space for them as leaders, that a leader can have the courage to say, I will hold you in your wholeness. That is the type of team and the type of morale that can walk into the mystery and into a storm and say, I may not know what's going to happen, but we have trust in each other as we go forward. That's an incredible outcome of transmuting grief. I was sitting in the the visual that I guess came from that. And it, to me, it like it really struck me, like the idea of uh, like talking about grief in the workplace as that that storm that storm system and like like letting the clouds actually like you know and I think it's quite poignant that it's been it's been raining where, where I am in the world over the last two hours but like letting the rain come down and and then like allowing that clarity to come out for your team and you know if you heard that and you were like you know what as a leader I haven't I haven't shown up for my team and talked about some of these things and I've kind of just pushed through and you know even though we've been talking about it maybe from a organizational perspective about what's happening and how we're changing our work i really haven't created a space and a container for my team to talk about this so is there a particular question that a leader can use um, or any kind of symbolism that they can bring in into a like existing team meeting to actually start talking about these things so they can hopefully get that you know that clarity that you were speaking about yeah there are certainly all sorts of depths that we can create in the experience design and a, and a really gentle beginning can just be what's been heavy on your heart recently. 
Mm. Yeah, that's such, such, such a powerful question. Yeah, and that however much time there is for that question with a group, um, that in and of itself will create this opening and this breath. And I think that it's very important as conveners of that question to ask that of oneself first. Because also, if your organization is has perhaps not historically made space for challenging emotions, it's a great time to start. And we also must respect everyone's cultural patterning on how in our different organizational settings, power has been inhabited to date, particularly organizational structural power. So if you sit in a seat of organizational structural power as a CEO, as an executive, as a VP, it signals safety to not only create the framing of why you want to make space for this and why you care about it and why you want to hear from people, but to ask the question and then answer it first. Because then that's really creating sanctioning for people to open up. Yeah. And also in the framing to say, you know, as, as because we're all experiencing so much right now, I want to open this question and recognize we all have different types of heaviness that we're sitting with. Some of us may have, uh, have things that feel small compared to the loss of a loved one or a parent who is ill in a retirement home and we can't go be with them. But the importance of witnessing, really emphasizing that it's witnessing and allowing each person to be where they are. So those are some things. And I think at the heart of that, you know, to actually do this in a way that fosters, you know, true psychological safety, if there's the saying that leaders eat last, I think when it comes to sharing vulnerability and opening up with a question like that, you know, if you are to ask your team what's heavy on, on your heart right now, you don't just throw it out there and then just let anyone answer it. You say, and, I, and I'll share first. And you have that ability to like be able to say that like I can do this um, and that, you know, I'm giving you permission as well to go as deep or as shallow as you want, but I'm just going to show you what's coming up for me. And um, especially, you know, I think even the conversations that we have in the workplace can always be quite tough in terms of how much should I share or do I, get, what sort of feedback do I give? But especially when we start talking about um, emotions and grief and mental health in the workplace, which, you know, I think is an overdue conversation and it's, it's happening more and more right now that leaders do lead first and say that, and, you know, and I'll share first and creating that container in that safe space. Exactly right. That's how we transmute old patterning about what power looks like and all of the subtle cues around it. All right, so I wanted to take a quick pause here. One of my favorite questions to ask, and one of the questions that you've probably heard me ask both myself as well as guests before, is if you really knew me. And if you really knew me, you'd know that my brain works in this way where I see different data points, conversations, articles, research, all these different things swirling around in my head, and I try to connect the dots between disparate pieces of information to be able to relay them back to people like you on this podcast. It's one of the favorite things that I get to do as part of my role as Coltramp's work culture evangelist. 
So what was happening in my brain when I was listening to this part of the conversation with Larissa? Well, it reminded me of it's so critical for leaders to actually lead from the front and demonstrate the expected behaviours to their team. In my opinion, this is one of the biggest differences between a leader and a manager. Managers are there to get you to do what they need done. And issues can arise when managers' expectations of the job to be done aren't aligned with the realities of the task, perhaps because they've never had to do it themselves. Leaders, on the other hand, take their team on a journey, demonstrate what's possible by showing that it can be done, and also admit when they don't have the skills or the answers. Now, leadership isn't easy. It's why there's thousands of books written about it, hundreds of talks being posted every single day to YouTube, and quite a few podcast episodes about it, this one included. But when reflecting on this part of my conversation with Larissa, my brain was doing that thing, and it was connecting to another story that I'd recently heard. And the story, it's from the ESPN documentary that just came out on Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls called The Last Dance. There was this moment where Michael Jordan was bluntly asked a question that sat in the air for what felt like a minute. That question was, do you think your intensity and desire to win has come at the expense of being perceived as a nice guy? Now, as he sat there in his chair, you could see that the question had impacted him. And as he cleared his throat, he said, leadership has a price. Yes, there were times when I had to pull team members along the journey and I challenged those who didn't want to be challenged. But it's this next line. This is the line that really stood out to me. If you ask any of my teammates, the one thing about Michael Jordan was that he never asked me to do something that he didn't do. And that's the quote that reminded me of this conversation. He never asked a teammate to do something that he had never done himself. And that is, I think, what we need to be thinking about as leaders right now. If you're going to ask a question or a request of your team, are you willing to answer it or do it first? Imagine this, you're in a meeting. What's stopping you from letting your team know how you're working through it first? So as leaders, I want you to stop and think. Have you been asking your employees to work through this situation by asking questions that you aren't willing to answer yourself? Larissa mentioned using this moment as a rite of passage to let go of the old and stuck systems. But before you ask your team to change, what are you willing to let go of first? Let me know if there's a story about leadership that comes up for you as I mention some of these stories and please uh, share them with me on social media. You can use the hashtag working through it and tag me at Damon Klotz. Now let's get back to my conversation with Larissa. What advice do you have for a leader who's wrestling with whether this is the right time to try really facilitate, you know, deep transformation within their team or for their mentees? Mm, I love that question. I love that question for many reasons. And likely, as you know, you know, because so much of my work centers around the idea and the experience of a rite of passage. So I've been a wilderness rites of passage guide since 2007-ish sometime in the late 2000s. And I have been facilitating rites of passage for executive teams, for leaders, um, for people in corporate settings, not necessarily out in the wilderness, but sometimes out in the wilderness for many of the past couple of years. And that impulse to say, how can we create transformation? Yes, right now, as we're all 
stepping into the undertow and the whitewater of this massive moment of change, we have the opportunity to engage it as a rite of passage. So a rite of passage is an experience, it's a threshold with which we engage intentionally to transmute an external experience of crisis or an internal experience of crisis into a shedding, an opening, and a transformation of self going forward. So if you're a leader listening out there and seeing the incredible opportunity that we're in right now for to how to, how to transform and release old stuck systems in your organization, my suggestion to you is to first look at yourself in that frame. In my work that I do in executive rites of passage, we always start with the self and with the executive team first before we look at how do we transform the organization. I have experience um, from many different consulting settings around organizational change and organizational transformation. And the reason why in wayfinding, I choose to focus on leaders and the leadership team first is because so much of what exists in organizational cultures and organizational habits stems from the conscious and unconscious behaviors, values, and strengths and blind spots of our leadership team. That fundamentally is the result of power and how power speaks through and weaves through groups of humans. So if you see things in your organizational body that you wish to transform, perhaps first reflect upon yourself and ask yourself, who do I want to stop being as a leader? Who have I been being that doesn't serve, that doesn't serve my own essence, that doesn't serve my gifts, that is coming from my ego or my fear? What do I want to put down? And then to ask, what do I wish to maintain and sustain going forward? Because it is a core part of my being. It is deeply connected to my essence and my gifts. And then who do I wish to start being? These three questions are the fundamental questions underlying any meaning-making and process of shedding our old skin and stepping into the mystery to listen to what wants to come through that is the hallmark of a rite of passage experience. And to do that with oneself first before asking, what can my team do or how can we as a culture do this differently, claims our personal responsibility. There's an organizational, former organizational consultant and shaman, Jose Luis Stevens, whose definition of power is one that I love in many regards. And he says, power is the act of taking ever greater responsibility for ourselves. So when we expand responsibility for how we show up and what we create in our life first, and then engage our colleagues in that question too, of how have we created things that perhaps don't serve for our organization? And what do we need to clean up amongst ourselves? Because maybe the reason the marketing team and the sales department haven't been collaborating well is because of how our two um, 
executives or our two VPs are in direct relationship with each other. Wow, what can we claim and clear that can liberate our organizational body? That's where I would start first before thinking about here's how we as an organization can step into this question. It's so powerful as well because when you think about like the ripple effects of like those two leaders who are, you know, incongruent to their approaches of how they're working together, right? And the amount of people mm-hmm. whose like energy is then impacted by two people who aren't, uh, who haven't spent the time having those tough conversations or really getting to know each other or understanding what's motivating each other or, you know, do they have the same goals or who's letting ego get in the way? You know, to me, I always think about um, ripple effects and just like one decision, one conversation, like how far away are we from one conversation changing hundreds of lives, depending on how big those teams are, right? That's exactly right. And that's that's how I arrived at the focus of my work of um, primarily focusing on transforming power in organizations and transforming power in leadership because that one conversation has so much potential energy locked up in it, you know, that if it's liberated and catalyzed, then it creates all this flow in the organization. But oftentimes having these conversations can feel like you're part of a bomb squad because it involves two people's egos. It involves the question of power. It involves respect and visibility in an organization. And so unless everyone is equipped to have these conversations, which you know, societally, these skills are not widely distributed. <laughs> you know, we're, they're not role modeled. We are not, um, we are not like brought up in school learning how to have these conversations with ourselves or other people. Um, so then it just feels like completely impossible to tear toward instead where greatest potential is to gain these skills together at the same time and see, oh my goodness, like, who could we become now and how could we go on a learning journey as colleagues and as an organization to not just serve our customers and our employees, but to all learn together in this path? I really see that as one of the greatest possibilities for all organizations going into the future to step into that frame. What is the most inspiring question that leaders are coming to you with? And what is the most heartbreaking question that leaders are coming to you with? The most inspiring question that leaders are coming to me with, are surfacing with me, are how have I created obstruction in my team and organization? And the most heartbreaking question is how can I get people to do what I want? What advice do you typically give to others that you've actually found yourself saying a lot more to yourself during this time in order for you to work through it? Listen internally. Feel internally to what will bring you the most aliveness and will be most nourishing to your being. And do it. That final part is the critical part. Actually, actually do it. (laughs) Yeah, because then otherwise we're just in conscious. We're just in conscious denial instead of unconscious denial. (laughs) A big thank you to Larissa Conte for joining me. 
Now, I'm not sure if you picked up on it during the interview, but that's not the first time I've had a conversation with Larissa. And I'm always learning something new from her. And I really hope that her stories and the way that she approaches things is going to help you work through it during this time. Now, Larissa and her company, Wayfinding, they've made a bunch of resources that are really useful, available to all of us listening. And they're on the Working Through It website, culturefirst.com slash working through it. Now, I mentioned at the start of this that I want to be working through this journey with you. So what did I learn from her that I'm trying to work through? Well, for me, my big takeaway was I want to work through the process of shedding old skin and using this moment to become who I know I can be. And to do that, well, first, I need to ask myself, what am I willing to let go of? So that's the question that's sitting with me and I know it's going to help me work through it. And I hope that the stories here have really helped you and I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. And if you have, please leave us a review and share your feedback with me. We also want to know how you're working through it. So please use the hashtag working through it and tag myself at Damon Klotz and at CultureAmp and let us know how you're working through it and how your team's working through it. We want to be part of this conversation. All right, so this wraps up episode three from the Working Through It series and I look forward to joining you on the next episode.